We're going to jump into Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24 this morning. And in light of what we just talked about, it's so ironic that this is the passage I get to teach on. Uh, but felt like the Lord is really working in my own heart throughout this last week, even studying for this. And um, I really felt like this morning, before we even go, get going, I want to take some time to pray. And uh, in light of like all the COVID stuff that's going on, whether no matter which side of the whole thing you fall on, I think we need to pray. <laughs> I think that there's just a ton of fear and anxiety and um, being a pastor and also having my hands in a business in town, there's also fear in the business world of like, oh, our business could be shut down. And if you guys have been following anything over the last 48 hours, there's multiple businesses closing down in, in town right now for periods of time as a result of employees contracting COVID. And so it's just an interesting season. Uh, we actually have people in our church who have relatives that have passed away as a result of COVID. And so I know there's people on multiple sides of the argument. And at the end of it, I just feel like we need to pray for our city. We need to pray for people here. I mean, like the, the, the harvest is ripe. Like Jesus is moving in the midst of all of this. And we are a people that ascribe to a different kingdom. And in doing so, we believe that regardless of what's shaking around us, Jesus is on the throne ruling over the kingdom that he's invited us into. And um, we believe that God in the midst of all of this is actually drawing people to himself. That when the word says that he uses all things for the good of those that love him, he really means that. That he uses even the things that the enemy meant to steal, kill, and destroy, and divide, he uses to actually bring life and bring life abundantly. And so before we even start this morning, I just thought like, let's call a spade a spade and say, there's a bunch of tension right now. And let's go to Jesus this morning and ask that he, one, relieve our tension, but two, that he would heal the land and heal people and show up and move in amazing ways that we can't uh, even understand or describe. So anyhow, let's just, uh, I'm not going to ask you to hold hands or anything because I'll be sensitive to the times, but let's bow our heads and let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we thank you that you are on the throne. We thank you, uh, Lord, that we can trust you, that we, you are faithful, that you are good. Lord, we trust that you are with us in the midst of this. God, we, we appreciate, we love the fact that you are so consistent, Lord. You are the same yesterday and today and forever. And we want to draw near to you this morning, God. Even as we open your word, we realize that there's one thing that binds us together and it's Jesus Christ. And so this morning, when you center our minds and our hearts on you, no matter what it is that's tugging at them from the outside this morning, would you center our hearts and minds on you this morning, Jesus? I pray for those in this room that just feel tense, that feel anxious, God, that just feel as though they're being torn a, a hundred different directions. Lord, I'm praying right now that your peace would just invade their hearts, that you'd show up this morning and move as we study your word, God. And I just thank you, uh, Lord, for your joy that you give us. I thank you for the peace that only you can bring, God. And I pray this morning there be even some of those who are here that would make the decision to call upon you as their Lord and Savior, to trust you with their lives, to receive the peace that only comes through everlasting life in Jesus Christ. And so we submit this time to you, Jesus, and pray that you're honored as we open up your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Awesome. Open up your Bibles, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, if you would. Are you guys okay? Every week I have to ask that because I, I just, I know Courtney is going to be loud. Yeah, and, uh, and, and just, it's actually a joyous thing that we get to be here this morning. 
it is not a, a somber thing that we come into the presence of the Lord this morning and open up his word and worship. I mean, what an awesome thing we get to partake in. So Matthew chapter 6, um, let me read verses 19, 19 through 24 and then we'll get into it. 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will, he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth, or money, or mammon, whatever translation you're reading this morning. So, if you guys were asked this morning, what was one of the greatest threats to Christianity? Um, I wonder what your answer would be. If you were asked this morning, what was one of the primary obstacles that would get in the way of the work that God has called Anthem Church to do in the city of Coeur d'Alene? I wonder what your answer would be. If you were asked what subject did Jesus speak about almost more than any other topic, I wonder what you would say that would be this morning. And you can answer all of these questions with the same answer. Jesus talked first and foremost about God and his kingdom more than anything else in his life. He talked about the God and his kingdom. But after this, there's no topic that Jesus discussed more in his ministry than the topic of money and specifically the topic of possessions. And so although Jesus wasn't always addressing money in the context that we immediately assume, oftentimes Jesus used money as this illustration to a much bigger point. He used these illustrations um, that his audience would understand. And so sometimes it went back to money and it went back to possessions. And so I don't want to sound as though money is Jesus' focal point in his life and his teachings, but money and possessions were topics that Jesus talked about often in order to bring home a point. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing in this passage that we're reading today. He's using money as this example of something that we treasure, making the point that ultimately it's about the state of our heart. Jesus has continued to rally and, and talk about the heart. And Jesus used real things that people struggled with as a point, as a way to point to a greater problem and a greater need. And I think maybe that's because Jesus knows a little something about the struggle that all of our hearts have. That maybe we do have an issue with regards to our possessions and material things and money. Uh, last week we talked about removing the mask that religion has put on us. And, and we talked about how the Pharisees, the religious elite of Jesus' day, would use their religious acts as a way to mask their heart. And so as Jesus stated in the, the prior passage we looked at last week, the Pharisees' primary motivation was the accolades of people. It, it, or it was their earthly reward that they could get here and now. It, it was the praise that they could get from other people for the religious things that they did. It was getting noticed is, was their primary goal. And so primarily fasting, as we talked about last week, um, w which was in that passage, was one way that they masked their hearts with religiosity. And so Jesus says this motivation sort of revealed something deeper about their hearts. And Jesus said that 
last week we talked about this, that they received their reward, that, that they were noticed by others, that God rewards what is done in secret, not what is seen by others. And it was way more about what motives we do, uh, we, we have, than it was about doing the religious deeds. And so it's interesting coming into this passage where we're discuss- that we're discussing today because Jesus is still actually addressing heart motive. And he's still calling out things, much like religious deeds, that have the potential of masking our hearts and causing a disconnect between us and the Lord. What are the things that we use as cover-ups to not deal with the heart, the root issues? And so as Jesus discusses money and possessions specifically, I think it's fitting to look at these things, these money, the, the money and the possessions, the wealth as he refers to it, as another mask. Because a mask is something we wear to guard the actual workings of our heart. Jesus wants the mask off. He wants the real us, like we talked about last week, to be exposed in order that he can have access to the heart. But we so often want people to see the many kingdoms that we've created in this world, the the religious acts that we do, the material stuff that we have, the striving for what seemingly looks like the perfect put-together life for others to observe that's completely void of Jesus. And this is what Jesus is getting to. And so there's one main kingdom command that Jesus sort of makes in this section that we're gonna look at today. He says, lay up for yourselves treasures in where? Heaven. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Actually, in the passage we see the negative, do not. He actually says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Um, Treasure in and of itself is this really amazing descriptive term because this word treasure is a really good way of of getting at what what moves you, what motivates us, and and where the rubber actually meets the road in our everyday lives. So the, the original language literally says, do not treasure for yourself treasures on earth. Or it could be translated, stop treasuring for yourself treasures on earth. And so my question this morning then is, what is a treasure? And a treasure is something that actually is assigned some sort of value. Um, Not many treasures actually have like an intrinsic value. Most treasures have some sort of sentimental or assigned value to those treasures. So if you look at a dollar bill, why the heck is a dollar bill worth a dollar? Do you know how much it costs to actually make a dollar bill? 4.9 cents. So the dollar is not actually worth a dollar. It doesn't actually have a value, but it does have an assigned value because it costs the government 4.9 cents to make it, but we say that it's worth $1 in our society. So once we've assigned some sort of value to this little piece of paper, it takes on all kinds of influences in our life. So for, for many, they'll actually judge the quality of life by how many of those they have. Think about that that your life is measured by the 4.9 cent piece of paper that you carry around that you call $1. That the, the number of those can actually determine where you live, that the number of these can determine who you hang out with, determine the kind of food that you eat, determine what you do in retirement, that can determine the quality of your health care. Like a dollar has the potential to become very influential in our lives. What an interesting word that Jesus used, treasure something of value that you actually live for. Now, the, the idea, as Jesus is pitching it, 
is not a literal treasure. I mean, when we think treasure, what do we think? Pirates, right? Open up the treasure chest, grab, grab the loot. Now, when Jesus uses this word treasure, again, he's not talking about like a literal treasure is worth thinking of. Jesus is not talking necessarily about money even at this point, nor is he speaking about like a, a, this treasure chest that we've got or these valuables that we have within this tre treasure chest. Jesus is talking about what you treasure or what is of value to you. And from there, then Jesus begins to show us how we can value or treasure what actually matters. So he kind of peels the onion back. And Jesus says, do lay up treasures in heaven. And the, the point is not that we don't have things that we treasure, but where we place the treasure that we have. And Jesus is, isn't saying you can't care about anything or that you, you, you're not supposed to care, have passion for, or, or love anything else. What he's saying is that what you treasure actually matters, that you've assigned a value to something in your life. What you have passion for in your life matters. And he says, actually, treasure in heaven. So we, we sort of think of this verse as some sort of like point system or reward system that Jesus has conjured up. And so we're looking forward to this point system, this eternal point system that Jesus is telling, like a spiritual bank account that, that you'll only cash in one day. And then the rest of this life, you're just going to live miserably to have this massive spiritual bank account that you get access to when you die. But one day, we do believe God will reward us. And so there's part of that that is true, but it's not like God's like got a treasure chest up in heaven and he's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to take another dollar and every time you do something, like I'm putting it in the treasure chest. And when you get here, we're going to open it up, we're going to see all the stuff that you did. N.T. Wright says this, he says that the, the idea is that he wants us to treasure he wants us to value God. He says, we shouldn't imagine he means don't worry about this life. Get ready for the next one. Heaven here is where God is right now. And where if you learn to love and serve God, you will have treasure in the present, not just in the future. Our treasure is in God, who we actually believe is active here and now. Our treasure is in him. And so it's a both and, like there is a treasure, there is a reward that awaits us in heaven, but that doesn't mean you live this life just like kind of eking by and like, I'm just going to grin and take it. And then one day the treasure will be like, there's actually something of value for you to be, to be lived out here on this earth. There's actually value that he's brought to your life and the way he wants you to spend your time and your wealth and the things that he's given you in a way that is a blessing to others that draws others into his kingdom. And so the goal is for us to treasure God and the things of God above all else in this life. The, the real emphasis that Jesus is presenting to us is between this heavenly priority and this earthly priority, one that lasts and then one that doesn't. And Jesus says really clearly that earthly treasures break down, that they don't last, and heavenly treasures last. They exist in eternity. And so Jesus is challenging the, the people that are listening to focus on what lasts, to focus on what matters, which I think is in direct contrast to what the world we live in today tells us matters and what to value. Like we're all, we're all about the immediate in the world that we live in right now. And it's sort of like, what do you do when your Wi-Fi cuts out when you're somewhere working on something? Like, oh my gosh, I need Wi-Fi. Like everything in you gets anxious and freaks out because you just need it now. I need my Wi-Fi. 
<laughs> and we like lose our minds over little things like that. If something's not loading immediately on your computer, anybody remember the days of AOL? You just be like, click. You're totally cool waiting for it to come. Now it's like, the minute you have any sort of lag, you're like, come on, you know, I need immediate. The internet needs to move to the next thing. I need it to happen right now. So if we don't get immediate, we, we freak out because we, we need it now. We don't want buffering. Uh, I, I want to, um, we, we live in, in a world of immediate. And, and it was no different really in the days of Jesus. Obviously, they didn't have Wi-Fi and an internet signal to worry about. But what their emphasis was, was oftentimes about what was right now. What I can see what I can feel, taste, smell, like what can I get right now? And so look again at Jesus' examples about treasures on earth. He says, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where what destroys? His first comment, moth destroys. What does moth destroy? Somebody help me. Clothes, material things, right? He also says, don't lay treasures on earth where rust destroys. What does rust destroy? Metal. It, 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 it destroys expensive metals even. And then he says, don't lay up treasures on earth where thieves break in and steal. And he's sort of like, I think he's dealing with the clothes at first, and then he's dealing with the metal, and then at the end he's just like, yeah, let's take care of all of it. He's like, anything that a thief would break in and steal, let's not lay up treasures on earth in those things. Jesus says, listen. Just don't focus on clothes, on metal, on what can be taken. And it's funny because I think if you're like me, we can almost look back at the people that Jesus was talking to and laugh at them and be like, like, why would you be so caught up in stuff that literally moth and rust can destroy? Ha <laughs> ha, silly people. You know, like, why would you do that? And then you fast forward to today and we're pr we pretty much spend our whole life doing the same thing. Worrying about things that break down. Things that will not last. Expensive clothes, nice cars, like the life you want to live, food, like whatever it is. These are the things that we attach value to. And Jesus is saying, don't treasure. Don't focus on the things that can't last or are not eternal. But instead, treasure the things of God. Treasure the things that matter and what you do. And he tells us that, that we will, in effect, show whether or not we are treasuring the things of God by what we treasure and value here on this earth. So there's three sort of principles that I think that I want to break down that Jesus talks about in this, this section, in this passage. Um, the, the first one is this, he, is that everybody lives for some kind of treasure. I think Jesus is making this point. Everybody has a treasure. Everybody is attached value to something. Like we, we don't live by instinct. We don't we, we aren't value, we're, we're, we're like value-oriented people. We're value-driven individuals. We want to know how much something is worth and what we're going to make off of something and what's its long-term value. Gonna, like we're thinking about all of these things. And, and so we all live sort of in the back of our minds in the pursuit of something. We all have some pie-in-the-sky dream even that, that we're reaching towards. We all live in pursuit of something in our lives. Now, the you want to hear how I felt super convicted this week? It's because I made a dumb off-the-cuff comment to my wife that she reminded me of yesterday, a few weeks ago. She didn't do it in a, in a disparaging way. But uh, 
I, I said, we were, I forget what we were doing. I said, the goal is a house with a view of the lake. Like someday in life, we, I, don't, I don't even care if it's like two miles out and I just get to see like a piece of the lake. Like, and and, and I, I said that like flippantly, like the goal is this view of the lake. And then even yesterday when, when she had mentioned something about that, I'm like, oh, that is so dumb. You know, like I, I get these pie in the sky dreams. And the minute you start thinking about those, where does your heart go to that dream? Where does your time go? You start calculating, how do I get to that dream? And where does your money go? I start setting aside to get to that dream. And next thing you know, your whole life has reoriented in such a way that it's driven towards that dream and you've lost focus of the real goal. The real goal. Maybe for some of you, like, let's just get past your house with the view. But maybe some of you, you're drawn by the acceptance of others. You want to be accepted. You're moved and motivated by what people think of you. You sort of ride this roller coaster of how the people around you will respond to you. And you're always doing things and kind of maneuvering to make sure that you're liked and appreciated by others. Like you're super diligent as you watch how others respond to you and you want to make sure that they think the right things of you. And if you were to get to the end of your life and watch the video of your life, you might say, this person was living for the acceptance of others. Some of you, you may not struggle with that. For some of you, some of us, maybe it's power and control. Like you're always trying to move yourself into positions of influence so that you can wield some sort of power and control. Maybe it's your desire to be a notable person. Like you like to be the center of attention. You like to have control over your world. And if you watch the video of your life at the end of it, you would see how you move yourself into places where you'll be in power and control. That became the focus of your life. So every decision you made and everything you did became about getting yourself into a position of power and control. Maybe for some of us, we live for success and we're super driven and our life and our schedules are frantic and our life is just like in a frenzy because in our eyes, no success is ever success enough for us. And so we're always jumping from one success to the next success in a workaholic, workaholic sort of way in our life. And maybe for some of you, I'm going to try to hit all of you this morning, okay? So I'm just going to keep going up. Maybe for some of you, you live for the comforts of material possessions. Like that actually does something for you, makes you feel good. And so you work to surround yourself with lots of stuff and lots of possessions because they make you comfortable. Maybe you sort of live for pleasure. You're attracted to the things that you can taste and touch and smell. Like you want the finest of all of these things. Somehow, some way, the point is this, that we're all living for something, that everyone lives for some kind of treasure. Is I think where Jesus is getting at. The second principle is this, in verse 21, Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the principle is this, the thing that is your treasure actually dictates and controls your heart. It becomes an idol. It becomes something that we worship. And so once that thing is in that place of treasure, it actually begins to control 
our desires, our thoughts, the, the emotions of our heart, the, the way you interpret life is always through the lens of the thing that, you're tre- that you treasure most. The thing that will make you happy is moving closer to your treasure. And in the same sense, the thing that makes you most sad is when you're moving further and further away from your treasure. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Another way to put it is where your heart is, there your treasure is. And then there's this third principle in verse 24. Um, one, everybody lives for some kind of treasure. Two, um, the, 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 the thing that is your treasure will control your heart. And then the, the other thing is this, that what controls your heart actually controls your behavior. And this is where it gets a little scary in our lives. Um, once that treasure that we have actually is in possession in our heart, it actually sets the agenda for our words. It sets the agenda for decisions and actions that we make, reactions. It sets the agenda for our responses. And that's the spiritual dynamic that Jesus is laying out in this passage, that everybody lives a treasure-oriented life. Everybody's heart is controlled by some kind of treasure, and that control then sets the agenda for the way that person begins to live. And this is sort of the, the, the reality of every human being life. There's something that is motivating and controlling you. There's something. And I think Jesus just wants to get to the root of what that is and say, is that thing healthy? Is is that at the core of that? Is it something that's rooted in heaven or is it something that's rooted here on earth that one day will become destroyed and will not go with you? And so the life that you live and all that you accumulate was for nothing. Jesus says in verse 24 that you can't serve two masters, like that your allegiance can't be split, that one of them will get the priority, that you can't live in a kingdom with two kings. It just does not work. Just like you can't be married to two wives, right? That just does not work. It doesn't work. I've never done it, but I'm just saying, like, I don't think it works. Jesus says that you'll hate one and you'll love the other, or you'll be devoted one to one and you'll despise the other, that you can't uphold God and money as, or, or things or wealth as priorities in your life. It just, they can't coexist with one another as gods in your life, as kings of the kingdom. And so what does it mean to be devoted to something when Jesus says it? It means that something moves you to action, that you live in pursuit of that thing, that it occupies your life. That's literally the dictionary's definition. Whatever occupies your time, your money, your relationships, your lifestyle, what, uh, that, that will end up occupying your heart. And you have the choice to devote your life to Jesus or everything else, but not both. Jesus or everything else, but not both. And notice what Jesus does. He, he divides the, the world of treasure into these two kinds of treasure, this earthly treasure and this heavenly treasure. Treasures that are on this earth um, are temporary, fleeting, and passing. And then the eternal treasures of the kingdom of God. And so I want to ask you this question this morning. What set of treasures do you live for? Most of us in this room would probably just give a real quick response back and say, treasures in heaven, of course. (laughs) That's the Christian response. That's just what we say. We live for treasures in heaven. It seems logical to say that. But maybe it's not as logical as it seems. 
If you go back to verse 22, there's this really odd verse placed in the middle of this passage that if you read through this on your own, you'll be like, what in the world? Like, it starts out in a way that I think I can understand what Jesus is saying. It gets to this weird part, and then it sort of ends on the same note that he started it on. Like, what in the world is this middle section? He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And if you're like me, reading this passage, you hit that verse and you think like, what in the world does this have to do with the rest of what Jesus is talking about? We're talking about treasure before verse 22. He's talking about treasure after verse 22. And he's got this discussion on the eye, like right in the middle. Which for me, like, made me just go and, like, read and reread and reread and reread and try to make sense out of this. But if you actually spend enough time reading and rereading and studying this, you realize it makes perfect sense that Jesus puts this right there in the middle. Like, think about this metaphor that he's given, that if your eyes see well as you enter into a room, your eyes take in the light of the room and your body lives in that light. But if you go into the same exact room, your eyes are blind, it doesn't matter how much light is around you, you're incapable of seeing that light and incapable of taking it in. And so what's the point that Jesus is making? It's this, the material pleasures of this world have an overwhelming ability to totally blind us. Jesus goes right back to the mask. We use the things we accumulate on this world and the treasures we build up here. If I can get my treasures high enough, nobody will be able to see what's on the other side of them and know what's actually going on inside of me. And so it becomes our mask. You know, um, no one ever thinks that they have a problem with desiring too much of the treasures on this earth. I've never met anybody like that. Like in, in all my 10 years of pastoring people, counseling people, I've never had anyone seek me out for a greed problem. Never once. Pastor, I need to talk to you because I've been really struggling with greed. I've never had anyone come and say, you know, my life is just so messed up by materialism, could you please help me? In fact, the, the minute I think we hear a sermon on materialism, there's actually part of us that's just glad that there's somebody else in the room that God brought here to hear it, right? That person needs to hear that. I'm so glad that they're here this morning and that he talked about that so they could hear that message that they needed. But I think that our answer about the treasures that we live for, that we're actually way too quick to give that response and not allow God to shine the light on our own heart. Um, I really, like, in, in studying for this, there was nothing in me that wanted to make this anything about, like, giving or trying to get people to tithe. Um, and, but there were some statistics that I wanted to share with you guys because I think they're kind of shocking. If we, and I'll share some statistics with the church, and then we'll back up a bit, and I'll just talk about America in general and not with regards to Christians. Um, but um, not that giving or anything like that is ever a sign of, health, because plenty of people that are unhealthy give lots, and plenty of people that are healthy may not give very much. But it's all about where your treasure is. But of the entire U.S. population, 
about 49% of people claim to have given to a charitable, charitable cause in the last year. 49% of the 300 some odd million that live in the United States. 25% of people volunteered their time for a cause of the 300 some odd million people. I read one article that said fewer Americans are giving money to charity, but total donations are at record levels. And so actually, if you look back to 2002, this is really interesting. The number of people doing charitable giving has been going down, but the amount of charitable gifts has been going up. It's really interesting to look at. And so I think you can basically say it's like the 80-20 rule, right? 20% of the people are giving you know, 100% of the, 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 work, uh, the, the money. But 20% of the people are doing the majority of the philanthropic work in the United States. And again, since 2002, I think there's maybe a bigger war for our treasure in our lives than we ever would have thought that's going on in the church. I, I heard a story um, that, that I read this last week about a guy whose mom bought a ring at an auction for $175. And she, she goes to have this ring appraised the next morning, and this, uh, is it a gemologist? Help me out here. Anybody know the technical word for a person that studies gems? Okay, sounds good. Gemologist, right. Okay. Uh, so next day she takes this, the, this ring to this gemologist, and um, the gemologist looks at it, and he says it's a really beautiful ring, um, although it, it isn't up on prongs like they do it nowadays. It's sort of buried into the setting. And, and so he goes, so the diamond is worth somewhere between three and $5,000. So $175 ring, the diamond's worth between three and 5,000. Sounds like a pretty good investment, right? The guy goes on to say, but what's valuable about your ring is not the diamond, it's the setting. It's this special Da Vinci setting and it's actually worth $50,000. And so the guy says, I'll buy the whole ring off you for 35000 And the woman says, no way, it's worth 53. I'm not selling it for 35. Uh, so the guy who was telling the story said, from that day on, he'd watch his mom walk around with this ring on her finger. And he said it was so interesting to watch her walk around. It was like hilarious because she'd carry that one hand differently as she walked because there's $50,000 on that hand. And, and so he, he said that she'd never leave the ring in a bank. She'd never leave the ring uh, at her house. Um, she wouldn't leave it anywhere. It was always on her hand, and it always sort of changed the way she walked. And I was thinking, like, if you had that ring and a pair of shoes, a night, let's say, let's say an expensive pair of shoes at that, and you lost both of them on the same exact day, which one do you think you'd panic over? <laughs> The ring, right? Not the pair of shoes. Which one do you think you'd go looking for first? The ring. It's $50,000. And I think that story does a really good job of explaining, helping us understand Jesus' concept of treasure. So you ask yourself this morning, what treasure really does orient your life? It changed the way she thought, the way she walked. She would only leave it in certain, or she wouldn't leave it in certain places. It was always on her finger. It changed, like, the power that she felt when she wore that ring because it was $50,000 on her finger. And there's two sort of irreconcilable differences that Jesus talks about here. The first is this treasure on earth. It's a lifestyle of 
accumulating, a lifestyle where we work to surround ourselves with all the things that we think will bring us comfort, the things that we think will bring us contentment and satisfaction. It's this lifestyle that ends up being focused on us. It's focused on my pleasure, my comfort, my ease. And we collect things around us that will end up satisfying us. And the problem with this lifestyle is that those things never satisfy, that, they, they, that there's never, ever enough, that the closet's never actually big enough for all of those things. I once heard somebody say that lifestyle never lags behind paycheck, but paycheck always chases lifestyle. And it's a lifestyle where if we're honest, you never say enough. Like there's never an end point of like, I've got plenty. And so maybe materialism is this deeper disease in the church than we'd ever thought it was. Maybe it's a bigger obstacle to the work of God than we've ever thought it might be. Maybe it's the reason that Jesus talks about this so much because Jesus came to remove the obstacles that would get between us and him. And we spend this life building the walls back up sometimes, putting on the masks, doing what we can to try to hide behind something so that we don't deal with the heart. And I wish that I could say that I'm content myself because one of my issues in preaching through this is shining the light on my own life and going like, where is it incongruent? And I know that I struggle. I'm pretty good at being discontent in my life. You can ask my wife. I totally get the concept of more. But when is it enough? Like, do you actually have enough in your life? Does that concept actually exist? Like, how much of our energy, how much of our time, how much of our skill is invested in ways that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God whatsoever? That's what Jesus wants to ask this morning. I don't think Jesus is saying it's wrong to have possessions. I don't think he's saying it's sin to invest in material things. He's saying it's wrong for those things to be the treasure that orients your life. That's wrong. That's wrong. Having them is not wrong. If you walk differently, talk differently, act differently, if your life orients around that thing, begins to be a problem. Um, I'll invite the worship team to come back up here, but it's interesting that in Luke chapter 12, when Luke talks about the same teaching that Jesus gives, um, he immediately follows with this sort of really shocking call. To, he says, sell your possessions, give to the poor. Um, a little bit of a hint in terms of what Jesus understands that it means to live for treasures in heaven. I mean, he's like, get rid of all. Follow Jesus. But here it is. The, it's a life of willing investment. It's a life of willing sacrifice, of personal time, of energy, of resources for the sake of the progress of the kingdom of God. A life of a willing investment of time, energy, resources for the sake of the kingdom of God. We have been invited into a better kingdom. Do you, do you believe that? <laughs> Something better than what you partake in on this earth. We've been invited into a better kingdom. And it's a kingdom that will actually deeply satisfy our hearts. It's a kingdom that will lead you to a place of real contentment in your life. It's a kingdom that will give you the joy of investing in things and it won't fade away. And you'll invest in things of absolute eternal value. So this is what I was thinking this morning is that we'd stand 
um, I want to ask you a question. I want you to spend some time processing that in your own heart. I want to spend some time worshiping and thanking God for who he is and asking him to show us how to be a grateful people for what we do have. We have a lot to be thankful for, don't we? A lot to be thankful for. We live in an amazing area that is fairly protected from the rest of the world. You sit at a church service this morning when 80% of the world can't even say that they can partake in something like that. And you get to be here. There's so many aspects of our life that we have a lot to be thankful for. And if we're never content, we will not, never give gratitude and honor to God for the things he has done. We'll always be asking for the things we haven't received. And there's so much that he's done. Would you guys stand with me? Why don't you bow your heads? And the question to you this morning is, what is your treasure? What do you live for? What gives you the deepest and most abiding satisfaction in your life? What makes your good day a good day? What, what makes you sit in a chair and say, I'm thankful for my life? What brings joy to your heart? What do you look to to satisfy yourself? Earthbound treasures or heavenly treasures, heaven-bound treasures. And I think that all of us would do really well this morning in coming to Jesus, our Savior, the one who's paid the penalty for our sin, the one who welcomes us in this morning by his grace, and that we confess that we spend so much of our time in the pursuit of all the wrong treasures. My own prayer this morning is, Lord, I've tried to find satisfactions in the things of this earth, satisfaction that I'll only ever find in you. I have these replacement messiahs that I've established in my life that I give a lot of credence to that are not Jesus. My prayer was that the Lord would forgive me, that he'd deliver me. Pray that God would help you this morning to know him more fully and deeply than you've ever known him before. That the true joys of the true treasures of the kingdom of God would be present in your life. Would you pray with me? Lord, I want to thank you so much for the power of your word. Thank you for your life, Jesus. Thank you for your ability to reveal to us the areas of our life that are incongruent. And Lord, even as we may stand here challenged this morning, the real joyful part is that you're calling us into a better kingdom, into a better way, Jesus. And I pray that this morning, God, we'd acknowledge there's a better way, that we don't have to be ruled by all these things, that they don't have to consume our time and our energy, that we don't need to reorient our lives around all of these things that will be a fading item. But Jesus, we can find our hope and our salvation in you. We can lay up treasures in heaven. We can take what it is you have given us on this earth and pray, Jesus, that you'd help us to use those things for your kingdom's purposes. I pray your hand be upon the people in this room because I know, God, there is just a bunch of generosity to be unleashed through the people in this room. 
to live their lives in such a way that they have so much that they've been given that they can be a blessing to those around them. And I pray, Jesus, for the whole 80-20 thing to be reversed, God, that we look at the generosity of the Lord to us and we begin to ask you to give us a vision for your generosity for others. Uh, Jesus, I pray your hand be upon each person in this room and I pray you'd be with them, Lord, as they process this. I pray, God, that it would not be condemnatory, but it actually be life-giving because there's a better way. There's a way that where we aren't controlled by the things that we're attached to on this earth, but where our hearts are dictated by heavenly things, by the God on high, the King of the kingdom. And we acknowledge you, Jesus, this morning as our one true Messiah, the only way we turn our hearts and our affection, our attention to you this morning. We pray, Jesus, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I pray, God, as we worship right now, as we leave these walls this morning, that there just be a sense of gratitude and thanksgiving in us, God, that there be a joy that would well up within us, Lord, that there be an opportunity at hand to take the things that you've given us and begin to wield them and use them for kingdom purposes to be a blessing to those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.